0: Alright, let's get started. We've got uh, quite a bit of material to cover, so I'll try not to rush quite as quickly as I did Wednesday. And again, if you have any questions at all or want to go in a different direction, by all means, ask or command, demand, whatever. Uh, what I'd like for us to do today, and the overall, obviously the, the, the goal that Trevor had in mind when he set up this class was that, not that we would just know these things, know what other people teach but that we would know them with an idea or with a view toward maybe being able to persuade them. And I don't feel like I did a really good job with that Wednesday night, but uh, you do have to be familiar with what they believe in their mindset. Otherwise, they're going to come at you from angles that just don't make any sense at all. So I think it's good for us to be familiar, and, and hopefully as we go along, we'll not only familiarize ourselves with the things that they teach, but how that affects their mindset, how that affects their teachability. And hopefully I can inject a few things in there about uh, how to, to try to persuade. Again, I'll, I'll just say it right now, I've never been particularly successful. Uh, the the only person I've ever persuaded out of Mormonism is me. And I have to thank, really, uh, well, the Lord very much, but uh, just so that you know, why I left Mormonism. I got to thinking about this. You know, how do you how do you persuade someone to leave Mormonism? And so I thought well it might be good to relate to you what I was thinking. And I I was no deep thinker. I was eighteen actually at the time. I just turned eighteen, summer of nineteen eighty three. And my mom had bought me I was away at school, and my mom had bought me one of these for my graduation press. This is the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, the RLDS version, the the sect, the smaller sect that I came out of, (coughs) the one that's much more heavily influenced by Sidney Rigdon and his fairly strong teachings on some of the the tenets of the gospel. Well, at any rate, I got back here. It's pretty thick. But I got back here to the, the appendix, and this caught my attention. And I can distinctly remember being in the apartment that night when I read this. I was thinking this was really, it really kind of shook me up. Because I had been reading the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, but I had been reading mostly Proverbs and the Gospels since I had been 12. I just would read them a lot. And um, <clears throat> I got to this statement here, and uh, and it shook me. I, I was, like I said, I was no deep thinker, but it says, uh, and this is in the appendix of this book, to the Doctrine and Covenants, okay? I think you already know that most of Mormonism does not come from the Book of Mormon. You probably saw that from the other night. That The Book of Mormon is, for example, very it's very monotheistic. It's actually what they call Sabellianistic, which means that it is extreme monotheism. It's like the, the Pentecostal oneness. Jesus, the original, the 1830 version, Jesus and the Father are one not separate, not trinity, one. They are the same person. So you can see how far they went from that to where they are today with with extreme, what I would call extreme polytheism. But at any rate, the Book of Mormon does not really teach much about Mormonism. I'll try to make, one, make you aware of just a couple of exceptions today. <clears throat> but I read this. This statement <clears throat> was removed from the main body of the book by the action of the 1970 World Conference, its subjects primarily concerned with the arrangements for the construction of a boarding house in Nauvoo and with the practice of of the ordination of baptism for the dead, which the RLDS never practiced, uh, nor polygamy or any of that. It will be noted that the several paragraphs are devoted to references such as washings, anointings, memorials for your sacrifices and matters which have been kept hid from before the foundation of the world. Okay. In other words, what they're saying is we, we don't think that this is God's Word anymore. Now this has been in the Doctrine and Covenants for use as Scripture. Okay. The next page, they have to, they, they, they've taken all this out, by the way, since then. You cannot get these, this version anymore. they left it in there for just a little while because people would be curious. What happened to Section 107 of Doctrine and Covenants? But you won't even see section 107 anymore. It's just not even there. But look at how it starts. And this is what, you know again, feeble-minded, but this is what I read. It said, Verily, thus says the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offering and acknowledgments which you have made, for unto this end I have raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. And it goes on to describe this revelation. This clearly a revelation from who? Who, did the, who, who asserted that that was that the author of this was? From God. From God. So again, no deep thinker here, but I, a page later I'm like, well, wait a minute. They just said it's... They just, just yanked this out of their book. But that says it's from God. Why? Do, wait a minute. If you look back at the other revelations, it starts the same way and they're doing this by the conference the conference is doing it they're taking God's word out so you can understand that from someone young and inexperienced with reason or anything that when I when I read that after having read the Bible a fair amount not not extensively but just those mainly those passages I mentioned passages I mentioned that that created doubt in my mind that created a lot of that so I left I, I, I said, you know, because I had been pretty proud of the Book of Mormon, you know, because it answered all those questions that I was talking about. But at that point, I said, you know what? I don't think these guys know what they're doing. So I left and went to the Baptist church uh, back in uh, 1983. So that's, and I have tried to use that with Mormons, you know, later. Uh, You can do it with both the LDS Mormons and the RLDS Mormons where you you show them, look, you have all these tremendous changes in your book. You have, and, and that's one reason I've got it. As I was just showing Trevor, you can get these. Deseret publishes them, and I've got, I've got them all marked up because you can show them. These are the original eight photocopies of the 1830 and 1835 Book of Commandments, which became the Doctrine and Covenants and the Book of Mormon, and also the um, 1851 version of the Pearl of Great Price. And you can see the tremendous changes that they've made. And. Um, but it doesn't seem to work. I don't, I don't know why. That when you show them... Look, the whole... Let me give you just one real simple illustration that I found not that long ago. Uh, I don't have... I was going to show, but I don't have the, uh, the modern one with me. I brought it Wednesday night. But this is the, the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants. <clears throat> now, you t- tell me if you can catch... A big, a big change from what I've been describing to you about Joseph Smith, at least a little bit about him, and what this says. This is the 1835. Because remember, I said Martin Harris and uh, Oliver Calvary and others left because they felt like that Joseph Smith was overreaching. Early on, they were with him. But then they left him and were excommunicated very early on. All three of the original uh, witnesses to the truth of the Book of Mormon left, were excommunicated. And you, and this is talking to Joseph Smith, and you have, this is a revelation from God, you have a gift to translate the plates. And this is the first gift that i no, I'm so sorry, I just see my mistake, by the way. I was looking back at an earlier version, and the, the 1830 version. Okay, then, I just see this. Uh, give me just a second and he has a gift this is the, this is the 1830 version it's even further changed in the model but I, I, I was looking for this a few minutes ago and he has a gift to translate the book and I have commanded him that he shall pretend to no other gift for I will grant him no other gift pretty limited commission wouldn't you say Now look, five years later, things have changed. Joseph Smith wants to do more. He sees the power that he has. It's beyond just selling books. And you have a gift to translate the plates. And this is the first gift I bestow upon you. Do you see that? They just inserted that in there. It changes the whole meaning, the whole point. The first one is, that's the only thing you can do and then the five years later is that's just the beginning of the things that you're going to do. That's a pretty big difference in the things that you could do. In the modern version it's even further clarified as to what they want Joseph Smith to be able to do. So that's just an example of some of the things but again, I, I, I've shown those things to Mormons before. They seem to be unfazed <clears throat> the other thing I mentioned on Wednesday night and by way of uh, the topic of this class which is to try to persuade them I said you know I try to and I, I thought it might have came off a little bit coarse later when I thought of it to try to knock <coughs> polish off was the expression that I used well I don't mean that in, to be rough that the passages from Isaiah chapter 44 verses 4 and 6 uh, 6 and 8 rather when I say I'm using the that those passages and, and also uh, Alma 11.26-28 in the Book of Mormon to try to persuade them, I don't mean you have to be rude about it, but my thought and, ha- and studying with these guys over the years is they're so hard-headed and they're so pushed, not pulled, that I've, you know, in a polite way, but I've, I've, I've not wasted a lot of time bringing them to those passages. You know, I listen to them for maybe 10 minutes and I'm like, well, I mean, I've got some questions. Can I show you this? What do you say about that? And typically that's when they get up and leave. But the reason I do that <clears throat> is because I would like to... I, this guy, is, he's going to go to the next house and the next house and the next house and the next house. And, and these people, once they get them, it's a lot like the Pharisees. You know, they really, They're really, really, really hard to persuade the truth afterwards. So if I can... If I can dissuade them or take some of their vigor for what they're doing, the wrong that they're doing, that, that's the idea behind knocking the polish off. It's not to humiliate the guy. There's something else that you should know when you're working with them. This is very frustrating if you've never dealt with them. They have to. Uh, if you present problems, they watch each other. They watch each other. And if one of them seems to be having a little bit of trouble with your arguments, you will notice that he is conspicuously absent from further discussions. He'll be in Boaz the next time. And that's no joke. They'll have them somewhere completely different. You, it's fits trying to talk, talk to the same group twice. It really is. And that's just a tactic. They they have to fill out a report. We went to 23 154 davis road and this seals are this. and these, They brought up these arguments. And by the way, my, my buddy seemed to be shaking a little bit. He seemed to be a little bit worried. worried so... Uh, So they read those and they've got people they work with and they say, well, we need to get him out of there. And and another thing you'll notice is that they typically have someone who's very experienced and someone who is not experienced. So you'll watch, you'll see one of them take control of of the discussion. And he'll be a little more seated. He'll be a little bit harder to deal with than the other one. But if you give them both trouble, then you will likely never see either of them again. They're gone. Even if you ask them, even if you plead with, them, please come back and study with me. I would love for you to come back and study. They'll say, and this is something that just irritates me to no end. Is I can't count the times. Well, I guess I could. Probably half a dozen times where <clears throat> they said, "We'll see you next Thursday night at 7. and then you oh, call them and they don't return. You. They never come back. But they say they will, and they won't. All right. So I, I didn't mean to go on all that. Any questions? Any thoughts, comments? So, how do you deal with uh, the argument about the the Holy Spirit and being a, a testament to them? It seems like that's very hard to deal with. It is, and in fact, I've, I've got I've got a section. Uh, what I was hoping to do today, I never really said this, but I, I want to go through the section on salvation um, briefly, what that means to them, because. One of the, we're trying to save them, right? Well, they believe you're saved. Not me, but you are saved. And you're going to heaven. As one of them looked me in the eye and said just most emphatically with just sincere, I mean, he was just as sincere as anything I've ever seen. He says, Greg, you're, you're going to have all the heaven you think you will. You're going to have all the heaven you think you will. This poor he knew that. I was a Mormon an apostate. And uh, so... You know that's a so the question though the question that you've asked I wanted to go through salvation and then look at their scriptures to give you an idea but what does authority mean to them We've already kind of hinted at the fact that the Bible couldn't possibly be their authority couldn't possibly be because they don't trust it the the Mormon Church doesn't spell out where the Bible is an error It's just anytime it, it happens to not be convenient to hold to it it's done. You're if you're arguing from the scriptures, you're done with them. And so it's a lot like dealing with the Pentecostal, something better felt than uh, than than read or felt than told or whatever. So um uh, <clears throat> how do you deal with that? The only argument that I've ever used against that that maybe seemed to give them some pause because <clears throat> you know, it's uh, it is very hard to pin down somebody who's thinking subjectively. I am my own authority. How can you possibly question question me? 1 uh, Corinthians 2 through 4. Who knows the spirit of a man? But a man, you know, the, only the man knows what's inside him. So if you are your own authority, you really can't question me. And ultimately, the individual, uh, their relationship with with the Lord, and their being led by the Holy Spirit directly, that is their authority. That is the final authority for them. Yes. The Book of Mormon's good. Yes, the Doctrine and Covenants teach them all these wonderful things. Yes, the Pearl of Great Price. Yes, the Prophets. Yes, the Seventies. Yes, the Apostles. And when it comes right down to it, it's me. Okay, so the only argument that I have ever used, is not really all that original, It's just that you ask them, okay, so you are led by the Holy Spirit directly. Right, okay. Well, I happen to have friends who also claim this. They claim that they are led by the Holy Spirit directly. Now, some of those friends are Jehovah's Witnesses. Some of those friends are Pentecostal. Some of those friends these days are Baptists because Pentecostalism has worked its way into a lot of Baptist churches. And yet they teach things radically different than what you teach. How am I to know which way is right? How, obviously, you can't be right and they're right. I'm convinced they're sincere. I'm convinced you're sincere. How do I know? And so, that I've seen them struggle with that, but I've not seen to persuade them. That's just one example. <clears throat> but uh, subjectivism is intensely difficult. The best way to show them, uh, I think, you, and, and we won't have time to do it here, but you need to be prepared to make a really good defense of the scriptures. Uh, one of the things that they, uh, one of the things that they hold to is that the Bible was corrupted. It was corrupted by the Catholic Church. Okay, that's one of the things, one of the few few things in the Book of Mormon that actually is a true Mormon doctrine. Okay, and that is that not only did uh, the Catholic Church corrupt the Bible, not accidentally, but purposefully, removing as they say many things that were plain and precious from the Word of God. So they they maintain that the Catholic Church did this. That great and abominable church is the way it's, phr- it's phrased in the Bible and uh, the Book of Mormon. Sorry alright so now the other thing that they hold is that the church apostatized very very quickly went into apostasy very very quickly there are a number of problems with that and when I say very quickly that by the, the third century the apostasy of the New Testament church was complete there existed no New Testament church and the apostles were gone the truth was gone from the face of the earth, absolutely not a scrap of it left. That begs the need for its restoration. That that's where Joseph Smith gets his mandate from. Well, he claimed through God, but that's that's what he's saying, you know, it's been completely corrupted, it needs to be started over completely again from scratch. Lots of problems with that within their own Two simple ones I can throw at you really quickly are there in the Book of Mormon, there's the story of three Nephites uh, that would remain on the earth forever until the end of time, until the first resurrection. These Nephites would be going around teaching the gospel, and they would be, no query, no qualms about it, they would be successful. They were not alone. John you remember Mark 9, 1, I guess it is? There are those standing here that uh, shall not taste death until the kingdom of heaven comes. Well, so since they believe that the kingdom has not been established, they take it to its logical conclusion. John is still on this earth today along with these three Nephites. And he too will be preaching the gospel and teaching it. So they've got a problem now all of a sudden. They've got these four men going throughout all the earth through all this time being successful. And yet... The church completely vanished. The other problem they have with it <clears throat> is that they maintain that what they restored was the New Testament church to its purity, with all of its offices, including the apostles and the Seventies. Well, they maintain that you know that, that that succession within the Mormon church is an indication of their, their the fact that they are the true New Testament church. You can see that. That we, you know, who else around here is walking around with apostles living? I've met one. We have apostles, you know. They say so. They, and the New Testament church had apostles. How can you claim to be the New Testament church when you don't have apostles? We've got them. I can. We can go talk to them. These are inspired men leading the church. How, you don't have that. How can you possibly think you're right? See, because they're thinking from that subjective mindset anyway. So, pretty pretty persuasive argument from their standpoint. The big problem with that is. If they believe that the New Testament church, they got it now, and they're careful when these apostles are approaching the age that they can't serve anymore to replace them, or if they die in office, they replace them, and that is the order of the New Testament church, why did the, the apostles vanish instantly? The Latin John died, or whomever was the last apostle. Was, there were no further apostles, and they would not argue that point. So, if that was the new, t- why succession is important today, why wasn't it important then? You see the problem they have there? <clears throat> that could never be the. the yes, ma'am. Do they claim to have John? They do not claim to. Oh, it's a it's, uh, myriad. In fact, it's funny. They they you can find Nephite sightings and John sightings. It's about like Catholicism with the Mary stuff. You know, they. They they actually knew play people people saying, I was on this road and it was 30 below zero and my time went flat. And this man came along and I think he was one of the people. You see? So they have that whole war thing going. Any other questions? Because I really want it to be useful to you. I don't want to just catalog what they believe. Okay. They, don't, they don't hold any regard to the fact that the apostles were witnesses of Christ the things that he did while it, not only the word but the power. Well, they they make the same mistake that, that Pentecostals make. Witness doesn't mean what we, we know it does, which is a witness had to, which Acts chapter 1 makes it clear. This one had to be among those with us who, from the beginning so that he was a witness. And Paul describes himself as what? Born out of season. I'm Born out of due season. So, what that says is Paul was an exception. What they say is Paul is the rule. So they got a lot of problems with that. But he did see the Lord. He did see the Lord. He was an exception. But they wouldn't claim necessarily that they would have seen the Lord. Now some may, but not all apostles. Not a requisite for being an apostle in the Mormon church to see the Lord. But the thing about it is... They do believe that Paul was an apostle and, and he clearly preached it. If anybody preaches anything other than what I or the other apostles teach, are, are are not teaching the truth. Yeah, but see, the problem with that is that's something that the Catholic Church inserted in there to keep you under say, their thumb. I see it. It was. It was uh... I'm just going to stand up here and enter my password several times. All right, let's. <coughs> alright let's go through this and if you have any questions uh, it's amazing when, you, when you're sitting there this seems like this goes real slow when you're up here it's like we just started and it's 25 minutes after alright to understand salvation what that means to them and if you are discussing things with them it requires a pretty big paradigm shift for you the Mormon view of mankind and salvation is actually a doctrine of eternal progression okay they do not currently believe Adam, God. I wanted to point that out. Don't. That's one reason it's good always to ask someone what they believe. If you think there's a doctrine held, ask them. Do you? By the way, do you believe that Adam became Jehovah or uh, Elohim? That he became God? Because that was a doctrine that was espoused by Brigham Young and held to for a long time. They abandoned it only about 30 years ago but but don't go fight that battles and my point is make sure you, that that's something you <coughs> do. check with them because there may be some l d f s uh, latter day fundamentalists that um l, uh, FLDS, FLDS, that would uh, that might hold that but i i don't know of any of the l d s that do most mormons hold the following beliefs to be uh basic re- basic beliefs regarding what they could what we could only loosely call salvation. Okay, God's purpose, now here's an answer something that Mormonism has an answer for why, why are we here? Well, God's purpose for having spirit children is for them to obtain a physical body and then to progress to Godhood. That is the, really if you want to boil it all down, that's the goal of Mormonism. There are various estates that we must pass through in order to become a God. And we'll look at those here real, real, really quickly. Uh, there are different levels in heaven. We talked about that a little bit. But we'll look at that a little bit more carefully. And in order to reach the higher reward after death, which is that highest uh, kingdom, the celestial kingdom, you've got to be a Mormon. And in order to become a god, you've got to be married in the Mormon temple. You've got to have your marriage sealed. And as uh, Miss Knudsen pointed out the other night uh, to me before class, you've got or after I forget which. Um, you've got to not only have your marriage sealed in the temple, the secret ceremony, but then you're given temple garments that you've got to wear all the time. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You've got to wear your temple temple garments. Okay, so then they come up with all these uh, pharisaical type rules that you, if you're taking a bath, you, but you've got to get them on immediately thereafter okay if you're going swimming or whatever so terrestrial level of self and and that's necessary if you don't wear your temple garments these are basically sort of like uh shorts you've seen them i've never actually seen them uh they're like shorts i guess or i've always thought of them as like a bifurcated tunic you know type deal down here and um they uh they wear them all the time and if you don't then mm-hmm. you can't become a god so you can see they get pretty serious about that. And the terrestrial level of of salvation can be gained by baptism for the dead. Proxy baptism they call it. Alright, so the basic ideas of this set of slides are, uh, of this set of slides is that man um, is born into the spirit before uh, physical creation. He was. Uh, There is eternal progression for faithful Mormons. Uh, There are different kingdoms of heaven. Alright, I just want to really quickly go through the documentation at this point so you know I'm not making it up. Things were first created spiritually. The Father actually begat the spirits and they were brought forth and lived with Him. He, then He commenced the work of creating earthly tabernacles precisely as He had been created in this flesh Himself. Isn't that just blasphemous? I mean, it's just, you just feel icky reading stuff like that. Uh, God had been created in the flesh Himself. That's just ridiculous stuff. <clears throat> by taking of this coarse material that was organized and pose this earth until his system was charged with it that's basically their way of saying the earth he charged the, the, the system of the earth um, consequently the tabernacles of his children were organized from the coarse materials of this earth, Brigham Young they do document their stuff a lot and it's a good thing because it allows us to see what the early teachers really believed and why they believe what they do today uh, this is marriage, by the way. This is, this is to allow you, temple marriage is alluded to here, to get you to heaven. Uh, and to, well, to get you to uh, the celestial kingdom of heaven so that you can progress to become a God. All right. And again, verily I say to you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which means in the temple, which is my law, and the, by the new and everlasting covenant, ye shall come forth in the first resurrection. Okay, we're going to see this on a chart in a minute. And shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions. And they shall pass by the angels in the hierarchy of things and the gods. Which are set there to their exaltation and glory and all things. So you can see, by the way, the, the lure of Mormonism is you can be an exalted God. It's very human centric. Very, very human centric. <clears throat> Which glory shall be the full, a fullness and a continuation of the seed, forever what what 's alluded to here is you will have your own planet, your own system you will charge, you will inhabit a physical body with a physical wife or husband, and you will have physical children to into your world. they shall be gods, and they shall be gods because they have no end, therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject to them. Okay, in other words, a bunch of words to so say we're going to be God. The Father has promised us that through our faithfulness we shall be blessed with the fullness of his kingdom. In other words <laughs> by the way it's interesting to me how much this phrase appears in Mormonism. Joseph meant wore it out. In other words, we will have the privilege of becoming like him. To become like Him, we must first have all the powers of Godhood. Thus, a man and his wife, when glorified, will have spiritual children, spirit children who eventually will go on an earth like this one we are on and pass through the same experience, same kind of experiences, being subject to mortal conditions. And if faithful, they then they also will receive the fullness of exaltation and partake of the same blessings. Okay? There will be no end of this. This is eternal progression. That's what that's what's meant by that is salvation that's what's going to happen forever there is no end to the physical universe because the physical universe is necessary and there are all sorts of problems that they're struggling with right now to explain that because there's no physical basis for it the universe it's you know you, you've probably read enough to know that the universe will probably you know come just from the, the human standpoint and even we can admit this that that will either end in a hot death or a cold death in other words the universe is not static it doesn't go in one direction it, it, it doesn't just stay flat it's going in a direction well we know that going to end it when he's done with it but ir- irrespective of that there there's no physical way that you can conclude that the universe is sta- static it's not there's a set amount of energy in the universe and when that energy is gone you know it would it would go away It would be a cold death. But the point is, that ain't going to happen because God's going to end it, 2 Peter 3. Alright, here this chart, and I apologize. Um, This says it in so uh, so many words. This is the Mormon plan of eternal progression. Okay, intelligences have been forever. They're like matter. They've existed forever. Ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Okay? Where they came from? I don't know they don't really I've never heard an answer for that, but they have always existed, and matter has always existed okay but these intelligence are fairly nebulous things God through his and and, I, and you ought to hear the quotes on this God through his uh, diligence and perseverance he he moved himself up the ladder to the point that he was he was ready to have a spirit wife and then uh I granted some of these to uh Uh, To to then uh, uh, to then uh, procreate such that these spirit these intelligences could go into becoming spirits and then eventually inhabit a body which is needed to progress. The important point point here is this is kind of the Milton um, idea of the War in Heaven uh, Paradise Lost, where you you remember Jesus is the first son of God of Elohim. Lucifer was the second son according to Mormonism and um, what happened happened was there was war in heaven okay according to them and those who were uh faithful to God those who were faithful to Elohim uh they uh they will be born on the earth according to merit they all of us in this pre-existing case we were on the side of God of Elohim the only ones who weren't were Satan and his angels. Now they were, just like, they were just like these other creatures, our brothers and sisters. In fact, for all intents and purposes, they were our brothers and sisters. But they, did, they weren't loyal. And so they were cast out. And there, they, they come onto the earth uh, only spiritually. They have no chance to get a body. Okay? We're born according to merit. It does not mean chronologically. What it means is, by the way, we must be pretty loyal us because we were born in favorable circumstances sort of like the idea of karma you see that so if you're born in sub saharan africa in the middle of a famine you must not have been very loyal to god so you see how that explains why if there's a just god why are they why are they suffering like that over in, in bangalore not bangalore that'd be bangladesh. bangladesh that's a better point so the answer is because they weren't very faithful to God during this period. See how that intellectually or human human that's a nice answer, isn't it? Because we you know it's kinda hard, they would say, for us to answer that question. If there's God's merciful, why are those people suffering? Why are we blessed? <clears throat> Alright, so you're born according to merit, that means your circumstances, you come to earth, uh, you live your life. Now, if you live your life well, and then uh, you die, but not having become a Mormon, you go to Spirit Prison Hell. But it's not a weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth sort of place. Where it is is a place where it, they even kind of call it the the schoolhouse. You know, it's a place where you go to have another opportunity to learn, to learn of your great mistake you not accept in not accepting Mormonism. Uh, the LDS, when they die they go to paradise they go to a really good place they're with Jesus and uh, and the father let me think about that for a second Jesus is here I don't think the father they they make a deal about who can be where as you can see that needs to be sorted out up here um, so they go here but then they they like Christ you remember the reference he went to teach Spirits in prison, they go down here to speak, to teach the spirit prison, to teach the schoolhouse people. And some of these will, uh, let's say they ended up in here and they were, mur- you know, well, I've got to be careful with murderers. They actually do make an exception for murderers, but some do and some don't. But uh, bad, bad, bad people here, people like us, some of them uh, convert to Mormonism. Uh, at any rate, the only ones who will enjoy the millennium. Uh, the, the thousand year reign on earth by Jesus himself, uh, that'll be faithful Mormons. One big difference there New Jerusalem does not mean Jerusalem in Israel. New Jerusalem is a reference to Independence, Missouri, or someplace like that. Take your pity. And even, by the way, I think most LDS Mormons still believe that Independence, Missouri is where, the, where it will happen. I, I think that I know that I've read some of them that believe that because of what Joseph Smith said about that temple lot that's vacant. All right, um, for a long time that was that temple had to be built in order for Jesus to return, but I don't I don't think they hold that anymore because it ain't showing any promise of getting built. All right, after the millennium, um, then comes judgment. Satan and his angels come down here to the second death. They're they're cast into the lake of fire. Uh, Satan and his followers, sons of perdition. And that's uh, when you read one of the tools that they use to scare people um, to stay in Mormonism. Once you've gone into it, is if you can't, if you have, you guys never accepted Mormonism, can't go to that place. The worst you can do is the terrestrial kingdom. You know, if you're a really bad person you might go to the terrestrial kingdom which by the way is described as beyond your wildest dreams really good place but the father and the son will not be there that's your punishment for not being a good faithful Mormon you have no interaction with the father and son but if you have been an honorable person uh, and, but you didn't accept Mormonism but you were a good person you guys, you're going to the terrestrial kingdom so guess what Jesus will be there. He, he will visit there from time to time. But only faithful Mormons go to the celestial kingdom where God the Father, Elohim, and Jesus are as a rule. Oh, god is there all the time. And, uh, and, and, and here you have the opportunity to become a god. But a Mormon who has not been faithful, they've not won the temple garments, they didn't have their marriage sealed in the temple, they're actually going to kind of end up being servants to these, the ones that did. So a further little... So if you ask me, it may be better to end up down here than up there because you've got to end up being a servant up there. So uh, anyway, but that's their punishment for not taking it to the extreme. So there's some bad... I mean, you you don't want somebody to become a Mormon if they're not, if they're not going to do it all the way because really, you guys got a lot better than me because, again, I'm a son of perdition. I once believed the Book of Mormon was the (coughs) Word of God. I actually did, Uh, but I don't anymore. I once believed Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. I don't anymore. Where do they? get the idea of the millennium and the spirits in prison. Oh well, in the uh, let's see, it's Peter. I wish I had that passage. It's uh, First Peter. First Peter. Peter They're getting it from the Bible. Well, see, that's the thing. You know, that's what the Catholics put in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that might be something that, you know, it might have hung out. You know, it might have might eluded have there. That's when we tell it, the which the Catholics put, put in. Well, if you and got the got Holy Spirit, it makes you tell If we're saved, why do we need more <laughs> them. Well, that's right. See, that's a very good point. Well, because because this, you, you don't, you, if you end up here, see, you can't ever, ever, ever go to be exalted. See, so you can't become a God. So you're you're just you're done. This you're stuck in this state forever and ever. But, but it ain't all that bad. Say again. But it ain't all that bad. It ain't all that bad. Well, but you're, no. But see, the bad the punishment is no progression. You're stuck in a state, you know, they, they, through eternity. There's no hope of doing any better. Whereas these guys, they're going up the ladder. They're going to have their own, and they're going to. Now, one thing by the way, and I'll just point this out. If you ever if they ever try to present this to you. That is just a a logical mess. Here is okay. Why? Why I mentioned this the other night. Why was there a war in heaven? What did Lucifer say that got him in trouble with God? Without him, he remember what he was going to do. He said, "I'll take away their agency." He didn't say exactly like that. He said, "I'm going to. I will. you, You won't lose one of them because I'll make sure all of them obey you." That was what Lucifer said. Well, Jesus said, I will sacrifice myself. By the way, it takes God out of the executive role and puts he's just delegating salvation which just flies in the face of the whole scripture. But, Jesus says, I will go down and I will I give myself for them so that they can be saved. And Lucifer says I'm going to make them. I'm going to make them obey you. Well, and that was his problem. Now, the reason I point that out is, what did we read? We read that this process is this a one shot process? This is an eternal progression. This goes to here, um, and it does it again. This goes to here, and it does it again. Why does that necessitate? Well, if men have sin, and they're going to have sin, there's got to be salvation, which says, where does the Lucifer of the other planet come? Does he come from here? Because this war in heaven is, is uh, is, is Elohim's domain his system that's been charged do you see what i'm saying the the logical fallacy of all that is every one of these cycles has got to have a savior it's got to have a jesus it's got to have us that's that's ridiculous isn't it it's not only eternal progression it's eternal uh self fulfillment of the same process so it's it's ridiculous all right i think we're done i i've got lots and lots of other things to say um about all that um they will use the Bible, by the way. They, they, believe me, they will use especially in fact it's one reason you'll waste a lot of time talking about Psalm eighty two, where it talks about gods and it's referring to people, means judges, Elohim. But and you'll spend a lot of time talking about things like Matthew 5, When the fact of the matter is they don't. They don't. They don't go to the Bible for their beliefs anyway. They just look for evidences of little tidbits that didn't get affected. Little tidbits like First uh, Corinthians fifteen. There's some of that kingdom stuff in there. Remember the celestial, the body of the celestial and the terrestrial. No telestial. That's another word that he invented. But uh, but you see, those are evidences that there's still some things in there that just they just didn't get. Uh, so. One thing that I want to do um, since we're we're done and I think probably um, one of the, the best things we could do would be to be able to give a really good solid defense of the Bible and why we use it for authority and why objective faith is infinitely superior to subjective faith. I think I may try at least to bring a lesson on that at the end of next month because uh, I've been asked to, to bring a lesson on more, maybe Mormonism but I already told Mr. Charles I really don't really want to do a lesson on Mormonism because it's depressing to be perfectly honest and in 40 minutes or 30 minutes you just you can't you can't cover enough so uh, maybe maybe we'll do that and give a well, not that I'm the best person to do it but it helped me to do it anyway. any other questions? I think one of the things I bring also is uh, Peter having the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he's, uh, he's in a certain level uh, because Matthew, Scripture in Matthew, they wrote that out, Yeah. That's a good point. Very good. All right. Thank you all very much.